just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Great to have you today here. Uh, you know, one of the most popular programs that we've done on our broadcast show uh, was a show on communion. Uh, and, and I thought that was interesting. I mean, we grew up doing it periodically, awkwardly in our Southern Baptist Church. And of course, we do it. And, I, I, you know, the older I get, the more I, I learn to appreciate it. Um, I, I don't know that I completely understand all that goes on in the act. So I think it's a fascinating thing to talk about. So we're going to do that today. We're going to talk about what we call the Lord's Supper. In fact, that's the title of a new book that is out now. It looks like this. It's by Dr. Jonathan Black, who is the pastor in the, at the Corneli Apostolic Church in uh, southern Wales. And so we'll, we'll get into some of the, the interesting ideas behind this, what he believes. And may, I may ask him some random questions, you know me, uh, about just the different views on it because there are some different views which is an interesting facet of it as well but we appreciate you being here this is a little bit this is this is for us hardcore uh, believers so this is this is kind of my thing i love this kind of conversation dr black welcome to life today live great to have you here today thanks it's good to be with you so um oh man where to even start uh, let's, let's start with the, the church that you pastor, uh, and of course, we'll mention your website, apostolictheology.org. I think here in the States, we don't really know what that means. So give us a little bit of a framework, just sort of the theological background you're coming from. Yeah, um, so the Apostolic Church is one of uh, the uh, the three old British Pentecostal denominations that, um, that so it's a it's a movement that came out of the Welsh revival of 1904, um, where God did an amazing work here where I am now in South Wales, um, and uh, about 100,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus wow. um, as Saviour during that revival, and uh, and one of the movements that came out of that was the Apostolic Church, of which I'm a pastor here in Wales. What would it be? What would it be similar to maybe that we could relate to? I mean, is it is it Catholic? It sounds like it's more Pentecostal than and Protestant than Catholic, but just mm -hmm. how would you describe it to an, an ignorant yeah, American um, audience? <laughs> so we're Pentecostal, so in America, I suppose you might be more familiar with the Assemblies of God or okay. the Four Square Church or okay. the Church of God of Christ. Um, so uh, like the American Pentecostal churches, we would have similar theological beliefs to them. Obviously, our culture is slightly different over here, so um, maybe how we do things would look a little bit different. But one of the big distinctions between British Pentecostals and American Pentecostals is actually to do with the Lord's Supper in that um, in Britain, historically, Pentecostals would meet every Sunday for the breaking of bread. That would be our main act of worship. Um, and uh, while we've been influenced in more recent years by uh, by American um, evangelical and Pentecostal culture, and it's maybe not quite such a key distinctive uh, as it used to be, uh, we still have that sort of lingering heritage where um, there's seen as something really central and important about what God is doing uh, when we gather around the table. Okay, well, that raises the question then, what is God doing when you gather around the table to break bread? And when you say break bread, I, I have to ask, I mean, are you doing the little prepackaged wafer and a little bit of grape juice, or are you guys actually having a meal? 
um in in it varies from church to church mm. um i suppose um during covid um the pre-packaged wafer <laughs> was introduced in this country it wasn't really something that we had experienced before that and i think in most places it's probably uh, gone away now as as the restrictions have gone away um uh, but uh, you will find um, evangelical and pentecostal churches in this country that uh, use uh, a single cup for communion. You will yeah. find some that use little individual glasses, like you might be familiar with in America. Um, and uh, yeah, so a big variety, really. In <laughs> okay, and, and I, don't, I, I don't get hung up on that. I just find it interesting. If I've gone to different churches and they do it differently, and I go, okay, well, this is. But what is what is the importance of what you're doing? Well, I think in scripture, what we find is. Jesus um, institutes this meal uh, on the night that he's betrayed. Um, he does this just before he goes to the cross and he speaks words to explain what what is going on. And uh, a lot of our debates have been over what does Jesus mean by these words sure. um, oh. or which words we want to focus on. Um, but he says in two of the accounts we have in scripture, he says, do this in remembrance of me. But in all four accounts, he says, this is my body and this is my blood of the new covenant or this is the new covenant in my blood. Um, so in every account we have of the Lord's Supper, uh, the centrality is on uh, this um, Jesus pointing us to his sacrifice on the cross, pointing us to his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And uh and one of the passages we tend to go to uh, to explain the Lord's Supper is in First Corinthians. And Paul sets out in First Corinthians chapter 11 an explanation of the Lord's Supper and the need for us to examine ourselves um, and to come worthily to the table. But in the chapter before that, in First Corinthians 10, he says that um, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Mm -hmm. And that we, who are many, are one body because we all partake of this one bread. So there, before we have the actual account of Jesus instituting um, the Lord's Supper in First Corinthians chapter 11, we have this little explanation that Paul gives us that mm -hmm. there's something that he uses this word participation or communion that we are sharing somehow in Christ's body and blood. And that actually the Lord's doing something in us because he is forming us together into one body because we partake of Jesus in this way, in um, you know that we that we are all fed by Christ, and therefore we're all growing into one body in Christ. Um, so sometimes our discussions about communion and our debates about communion get very focused on the how of yeah. of this happening, right, right. Um, um, and uh, we can almost get distracted from the reality that. Jesus is meeting with us. Jesus is doing something among us um, as we get distracted by our debates of how exactly is he doing it. Um, the scripture focus seems to be not so much on the how does this happen, but on the fact that Jesus is here and he's doing something gracious. He's doing something powerful. And uh, even though we might not always be completely conscious of it, we might not always completely understand how it works. Um, but we are to fix our eyes on Christ, that he is the host of this meal and he's the one who feeds us, um, that he is our true living bread from heaven and he is the one who's going to sustain us um, 
uh, as we go out from the table into everyday life, into uh, into our workplaces, to our families, to wherever we find ourselves, that we have been we 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 go there having been fed with Jesus and knowing mm. that He lives in us, He is with us, He's holding on to us, uh, He is filling us and empowering us. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't I don't think you can stress that enough. I mean that that is transformative. I do have to ask one distraction question because <laughs> I know it always comes up, <laughs> and that's the transubstantiation thing. I yeah. mean, literally, the blood does it turn to blood or turn to flesh? I mean, I I can't see it, mm. but I'm just curious where you land. Yeah, um, and uh, that that's always an important question that comes up because um, we. I suppose, well, I'm from Northern Ireland, so we have a very big um, sort of Catholic Protestant sure. um, uh, divide in Northern yeah, Ireland historically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and that affects, um, even those who don't come from Northern Ireland, um, that somehow affects our views of the supper, even if we're not fully conscious of that um, Catholic-Protestant difference. Mm -hmm. But over this question about transubstantiation, um, and the the Roman Catholic Church um, at the time of the Reformation, uh, their, the teaching of transubstantiation was that this is no longer bread and wine. Um, it might look like bread and wine, it might taste like bread and wine, but the bread and wineness has disappeared and been replaced <laughs> by the, um, the body and blood of Christ. Um, and the reformers uh, at the Reformation, what they wanted to say was that Scripture still uses the words bread and wine. Um, that um, uh, like Paul, uh, we've just quoted from Paul, but Paul says, "We hear many are one body because we eat of this one bread." He still he still calls it bread. Um, so if we're going to be faithful to Scripture, we we have to acknowledge that there's bread and wine there. That it doesn't just look and taste like bread and wine. There is <laughs> bread and wine there, but somehow in this uh, by eating this bread and drinking this wine we are being fed with christ we are meeting with christ and uh, the different um uh there were differences at the time of the reformation and still among protestants today or different views of how exactly that happens but um uh but the the emphasis that they wanted to make was we want to follow scripture what what scripture says so scripture says bread and wine we must say bread and wine yeah. but if scripture says um that we partake of or participate in or have communion in um the body and blood of christ that we want to take that seriously as well so yeah. it might be mysterious to us how it happens it might not be as simple an answer as transubstantiation um would have it um uh, but we want to uh acknowledge both aspects of what scripture says yeah it's funny because the catholics would say well it, the scripture says this is my body and this is my blood you know so they, they would make the same argument but you know what it, it, it just it breaks my heart that we would let something that is designed to unify us be the very thing that divides us mm. and, and so i, I the, you used a word that i think we just all need to rest in which is the mystery of what's going on because i do think it's a little bit i mean it's it's above the natural world, right? It's supernatural. Mm -hmm. and, and and so, I mean, I, I could have communion with, with a Catholic, and I, I don't care what you think about the, the physical. Let, let's focus on the spiritual. And it's, I, so you, there's a, an issue you address in the book that I'm, I'm, I want people to hear about because you, you talk about the difference between union with Christ and communion. Mm -hmm. What are you pointing to there? 
Yeah, it's a really important difference. And because they're two things that sound really similar and they're related that we can get a bit confused with them. Um, but all those who belong to Jesus have been united to Jesus. That's why Paul in his letter, she keeps writing about how we are in Christ. Um, and so but through faith, the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus. And, and that you can't be more united or less united. You're either united to Jesus or you're not. You're either in Christ or not in Christ. Mm. Um, so all all those who have faith in Jesus are united to Christ. Um, and, and we need to hold on to that fact. Sometimes we can mix up our union with our communion because sometimes our communion can ebb and flow. Our communion can be stronger at some times and weaker at other times. And, and if we start to get confused between union and communion, we might think that uh, that it's our salvation is depending on mm. how on how we are feeling or or even on our performance of have I have I prayed enough this week? Yeah. Um, have I spent enough time reading scripture? How faithful have I been in telling other people about Jesus and things like this? And sometimes people um, can subtly get the idea that um, that that uh, that our our union with Christ depends on these things, but it doesn't. It depends on faith in Jesus. But we're invited on the basis of that union with Christ to grow deeper and deeper in communion with Christ, to know more and more of that goodness of that relationship with him, to enjoy his presence. Um, back uh, after the Reformation uh, here in uh, in Britain, we uh, had a document that's known all over the world. Uh, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, his first question is really famous because uh, it asks about what is the chief end of man? What is a human being's true purpose in life? And the answer is to glorify God and mm. enjoy him forever. Mm. Um, and it's that enjoyment. That is what we're talking about when we talk about the communion that we have with the Lord, that the Lord doesn't just want us to be saved from our sin but he wants us to enjoy that true fellowship with him to know that he is our prize and our exceedingly great reward and so he draws us close and one of the ways he does that is in this meal that we call communion in the lord's supper that uh, uh, he wants to meet with us intimately and uh, um, and to, for us to know that goodness that sweetness of his presence with us for us to enjoy our relationship with him yeah, well, that's beautiful. I love that. Uh, I'll show you the book again. This is The Lord's Supper by Dr. Jonathan Black, available wherever you get books. If you want to dive into this and, and just sort of get a glimpse into maybe what's going on, the mystery of communion, um, a good good resource for you. One thing I, I do think is important, and I think this is one of the most insidious aspects of the whole COVID thing that we went through, um, you know, the act of I don't I don't go have meals with people that I'm not somewhat close to typically. I mean, occasionally you have you're in the situation, but there's there is something, and I, I don't know that I fully understand it, but there is something about eating together. You know, when my family gathers for Thanksgiving and Christmas, we have a meal together, and there is a closeness there that is not, you know, with other people. What do you? What do you see? I mean, Jesus did this. He was very intentional about this. Even after the resurrection, he sat down and he cooked dinner for the guys, right? What do you see about the the communion, the community aspect of the Lord's Supper that maybe it introduces? Because I, I, I do think that it says something important about us. As you said, you know, Paul says we are in Christ. We are one. And Jesus said, pray that you may be one like the Father and I are one. There seems to be something that 
God has designed for us to be close as believers. And he said, hey, go eat. You know, even the Old Testament, they had feasts. These were commanded by God. Do you see something significant there? Oh, yes. And and I think you're right about um, one of that. You said at the start there about one of the problems that maybe came for after COVID. Mm-hmm. And maybe that one of the things there is that that tendency for people to individualize communion um, uh, and almost to think of it just in terms of me and Jesus, rather than to see that actually this is me and Jesus, but in this part of this community that uh, because ultimately um, Jesus has saved us to be part of his church, yeah. that that we need one another, um, that that we can't um, have that fullness of the Christian life just on our own and by ourselves. And so he draws us close to him at the same time as drawing us close to one another. And as you say, like there is something intimate about eating meals with people that um, that that uh, with with our Christmas meals in America, you have Thanksgiving meals and things. And, right, uh, right. Um, and, and, and if you want to get to know someone, you tend to invite them for a meal and spend time with them. And yeah. uh, that's what the Lord invites us to do, to come and have a meal with him. Mm-hmm. But as we do, to have this meal with his with the rest of his family, to have this meal with our brothers and sisters. Um, and so it, it points us again to that, oh my God, I want to say ecclesial nature, but that sounds a bit strange. But just like the fact that the church is an important thing. The church isn't just like a club of people who happen to all love Jesus, but rather um, it's the Lord who is building us together and uniting us together as this one body, that we truly are brothers and sisters, mm. that uh, we are to be that, uh, to have that closeness and that intimacy with one another um, and those that good fellowship with one another um, and eating and drinking together in the Lord's presence um, uh, builds us up in that unity, in that fellowship, in that love more and more for one another. It really, it really does. And, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, one of the topics that's really kind of risen to the top of the list when, you know, we're doing programs and when we're looking at books and stuff and it's the COVID thing just blew it up. And this is this idea of mental health and they always go to uh, isolation and loneliness. And you go, you know, you look back in scripture and right there, Jesus lays out the prescription for that. You know, he, he put us in communion with each other and he does it one of the primary ways maybe the primary way was through what you're talking about the lord's supper so it's 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 always interesting uh because you know you're the psychiatrist psychologist saying well science says you know and they start talking about community it's like yeah uh, i'm glad science has finally caught up with scripture here (laughs) (laughs) the lord sets the orphans and families that's what he does in his church that's he takes us away from our isolation and our loneliness and he he gives us this amazing new family um and he wants he, he wants us to have those opportunities to grow in that love for one another just as he's loved us yeah yeah I, I, it's it's amazing and it's oh it's life-giving it's redemptive all right there's one more thing i want to ask you about because uh especially here in our more uh charismatic type churches um you know there's this idea of being filled with the spirit and it's funny because you get on the other side more conservative they're like well when you're saved you're you get all of the holy spirit not just part of them you know it's like okay and i but i understand you know because there's a a continuousness that that is in scripture that is 
this day our daily bread kind of thing, you know. And so we think, okay, I want to. How do how am I feel up with God's spirit? And we would naturally go towards. Uh, hopefully, maybe I go to church and and I'll get a little more of the Holy Spirit in me or something. You know, we we kind of and we don't always study it this way, but the fact is we live this way. Or we think, oh, I need to listen to praise and worship music, or I need to read my my scripture. You know, all wonderful things I think are, are essential. You know, uh, aspects of spiritual health. But you say that communion actually is uh, a representation. I don't know. Put it in your. You tell me what you're saying because there's a connection between communion and being filled with the Spirit. What are you seeing there? Yeah. Um, so, if we're meeting with Jesus in communion, um, we're meeting with the one who pours out the Spirit. And the only way we can ever know the fullness of the spirit is to come to jesus um and to allow him to fill us with the holy spirit so we should come to the places where jesus is so so it is good like as we read the word we're meeting with jesus in his word in the spirit inspired word um and uh he may he can use uh the word to fill us with the spirit as uh, as we uh, as we come in times of worship, hopefully we're lifting our eyes to Jesus yeah. um, and uh, and he's being glorified. And so, um, again, it's a good place for being filled with the spirit. Um, but as we come to communion, um, in a way, we're drawing cl- the closest we can draw to Jesus. Because um, if you think of food, nothing gets closer to you than food that uh whenever you eat food it becomes part of you it's in it's in you um and and that's the way jesus represents what he's doing for us Mm. um by this meal Mm. um so if we're going to be filled with jesus we're being filled with the one who pours out the spirit Mm. um there's so many uh early pentecostal testimonies of people who came to a communion service and uh were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit as they ate of the bread or drank of the wine at communion. Um, and the same for people being healed as they took communion because they just had this realization of if Jesus is here, he's here to pour out the Spirit. And they had a huge expectation of what the Lord could do for them. Um, and not not in a sense that that's the way they were coming into communion just to get a blessing from the Lord. They were coming to meet with the Lord, to enjoy his presence. And as a result, it was almost like a byproduct of that, mm. of that great, glorious presence of Jesus. People were being filled with the Spirit. People were being healed from diseases. Um, uh, incredible things were happening. And uh, we still see that around the world today that mm. maybe... Uh, maybe it doesn't get talked about quite as much, but um, I know so many cases where where people have been healed at at communion, wow. um, and it's not because there's something particularly special in this piece of bread and this cup of wine, but it's because the Lord is here, um, and the Lord is the baptizer in the spirit. The Lord is the healer, mm. um, and so where Jesus is, He can pour out His spirit beyond measure. Yeah, I, I think also the word you used in expectation you know mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that maybe gets lost in the routine sometimes uh or, or in the so, yeah I, I don't mean to be critical but sometimes we can do it in a very disconnected way even when we participate in it you know um let's, let me let me finish with this unless there's something else i've missed and you want to add it go ahead but next time uh, th- those of us who are watching are, are having communion 
in a group, whether it's in a home group, a church, no matter where, where people are at, we're with other believers and we're doing this act. What would you maybe say we should, what should our expectations be? What, what should we keep in mind as we do this? Hmm. Yeah, I think expectation really is important with this, that so often we can have a low expectation of the Lord's <laughs> Supper, that we can almost think of it as five minutes between between our song worship and our sermon <laughs> or something right. like this. Yeah. Um, and we're not quite sure what to do with it. We're And we're perhaps more focused on um, our, our local church culture of how this works rather than yeah. what the Lord is saying. So I think what the expectation we need to have is the expectation that this is the Lord who has given this meal and the Lord has attached promises to it, mm. that we're coming not because we do this every week or every month or however often we do it. We're not doing it because it's a church tradition or a ritual, but we're doing this because Jesus told us to, and Jesus promised his presence. Um, uh, he promised that um, uh, we could we could taste and see that he is good. Mm. Um, so it's just that expectation that the Lord really is here. And when the Lord is here, he really does, he really does things that wherever Jesus is, He's there in the fullness of his grace and the fullness of his power. And uh, if he has said that somehow, in a mysterious way that we might not be able to fully explain, he is here at this meal, um, then he is there yeah. in all his grace, in all his power, in all his glory, in all his mercy. And, uh, and that means he's there in a way that can go far beyond the greatest of our expectations. Yeah, oh, and, and it's life-changing. I like that. I really like that a lot. Um, I want to show you uh, a website. This is apostolictheology.org. If you want to follow up with Dr. Black or a link to the book, get some other resources, feel free to do that. Apostolictheology.org. And I, from my end, just on a technical note, I had to have the www attached on that one. So if you hit that and it doesn't come up, add the www. Dr. Black, appreciate you being here today. Uh, is there anything I missed that you want to add before I let you go? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me on, Randy. It's been it's been great talking to you. Absolutely. All right. Well, there's something for you to think about. Something to, wow, sorry, something to chew on. No pun intended. That was terrible. <laughs> but seriously, I, you know, if you have low expectations for communion, they will be met. So let's let's raise our expectations and understand what Jesus was laying out, what he was promising, and what he still does today when we come together in remembrance of him. Appreciate you guys being here. If you know someone that would be blessed by this, hit that share button. And if you haven't liked, follow, or subscribe, we would invite you to do that. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. Ever flowing and abundant springs of grace.